that would be great. And we are going to continue our series today on uh, the Old Testament prophets. Uh, this is part seven. Wow. So do any of you remember any of these uh, messages that we've done? Name me some of the prophets that we've covered so far. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, yeah the one with the weird name, Habakkuk. That's a good one, yeah? The two ones with no names, one who lied and one who died. That was from last week. Hosea, good. The one who, who was told to marry a Jonah, yeah. Joel, yeah, good. All right, so you're tracking with me. You can, you can by the way, you can watch or listen anytime you want on our website or uh, a Facebook, YouTube channel. We've got, them on, we've got audio on Podbean and Spotify and um, all over the place, all right? So you can catch up if you like. But I want to test your knowledge a little bit because we're going to look at another one of these prophets today. And this is the, uh, specifically a story of when that prophet died. Uh, so question for you, and you can, you can play along online if you want to. Uh, I want you to name the Old Testament prophet, all right? Old Testament. So, New Testament starts at the Gospel of Matthew, so everything before then. So, the Old Testament prophet who performed the most miracles and did not write a book in the Bible. Moses, someone said, no. Elisha or Elijah? The Shah. Yeah, okay, so you're right. You're right. I, I can't see who said it. It's all dark up there. They need to change the light. But yes, it's Elisha, all right? The, the uh, successor, if you will, of Elijah is Elisha. So this is what we're going to look at today. And there are some striking things about this man's life. Uh, you can do a whole, a whole series just on his life, even though it's briefly mentioned in the Old Testament. Name me some of the miracles that Elisha did. The axe head that floats. Yes, he actually made an axe head float. Very curious story. Name me another one. The blind Arameans, okay, yes, there's a story there that you, you've got to read. You, it, you try and put titles to these miracles, and they're very strange, but yes. But name me another one. There's one that I'm thinking of that's suspiciously like Jesus. Yes, he did raise the dead. He did. And if you look at the scope and the, um, the bandwidth of the ministry and the miracles of Elisha, you really don't see anyone comparable to Elisha until, guess who? Jesus, yes. So second to Jesus only in a, in a sort of a class by himself, if you want to use that terminology, was Elisha the prophet. So you're talking about a, a wide, wide scope of things that just nobody else it, it does this in the Old Testament. So it's, he's a very curious person to study because of all of these, the scope and the variety of the miraculous that happens from his hands. And even if you have trouble with that, maybe you're new to the Bible and you say, ah, oh, how am I supposed to believe that you know, he made an axe head float? Well, read all of the accounts of the miraculous there 
you're going to have to find a way around every single one of them. And they, they have, there's so much variety to them, and they're so at times bizarre that to deny all of them is, is going to be difficult for you. But today, we're not even going to look at, at those miracles. We're actually going to look at when he died. So this is 9th century BC that he, that he ministered, so some 3,000 years ago. Uh, several kings, under several kings, he was active. So Jehoram up in, um, sorry, down in Judah after the, the civil war took place there at to Jeho, uh, uh, Jehoash in Israel. And Jehoash is uh, also a study of our, a focus of our study today because we're going to contrast the two. So you're going to find this in 2 Kings chapter 13 in your Old Testament in your Bible got an electronic one, you can go and find it real easy. You got a paper one, if you turn, you divide it in four and turn there and you're probably going to hit 2 Kings, all right? So this is 2 Kings chapter 13 and I'll just read a little bit of the account here. So in the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, <laughs> became king of Israel in Samaria. Remember, Israel was up to the north, Judah down to the south, and he reigned 16 years. Verse 11, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. If you remember in our series, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, the battle of the Boams, which led essentially to the split in Israel and the civil war. Jeroboam would take ten tribes to the north, and Rehoboam would be left down in the south with Benjamin and Judah. So it seems that this king here, uh, Jehoash did not go against the standard grain of sin that was started by Jeroboam, which he caused Israel to commit. He continued in them. As for all the other events in the reign of Jehoash, all he did in his achievements, including his war against Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the Annals of the Kings of Israel? This is a standard sort of epitaph for the kings if you read the book. Uh, Jehoash rested with his fathers, and Jeroboam, this would be Jeroboam II, succeeded him on the throne. Jehoash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. You with me so far? So we've got a king. His name is Jehoash. Now, Elisha, this is the prophet Elisha, verse 14, probably one of the most staggering verses in the entire Old Testament. There should be books written about this verse. I haven't seen any. I'm tempted sometimes to write one. Now, Elisha was suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. Now you say, how did Jehoash do that? I thought he's dead. Well, yes, but what the author is doing is backtracking a little bit and kind of replaying an interaction between the king and the dying prophet. Jehoash, king of Israel, goes down to see him, 
weeps over him. My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. It's interesting. This is exactly what Elisha said when it, before Elijah was taken. So interesting, same quote. Elisha said, so this, after this statement of despair from the king, the prophet is suffering, the prophet's going to die. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. Take the bow in your hands. And he said to the king of Israel when he had taken it, uh, uh, he said to the king of Israel, you take it, and then Elisha puts his hands on the king's hands. So the king's got his going to draw his bow, and Elisha is kind of around him and puts his hands on him. The, the dying prophet lays his hands on the king. Open the east window. Shoot, he says. So the king shoots. And Elisha declares, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Afek. You have to go back in time to understand the history of the conflict and so on. So he's predicting that they are going to conquer uh, the Arameans in a future battle. Then he said, take the arrows. King takes the arrows and Elisha says to him, now strike the ground. So he strikes the ground three times and he stops. And Elisha gets angry at him. And he says, you should have struck the ground six times, five or six times. And then you would have defeated Aram and completely <laughs> destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Oh, I mean, again, this, this is trademark Elisha talk. And he seems to, to uh, uh, the, the scope and the, and the power that's kind of surging through his ministry is at times bizarre. But now you will defeat it only three times. Verse 20, Elisha died and was buried. We'll stop there for now. I want you to see the contrast between these two men, how they lived and how they died, starting with the king on the left side there. What's his legacy that's written about by the author of Kings? He didn't, he didn't go against the standard grain. When Jeroboam, by, by God's will, when Jeroboam received those ten tribes, they were stripped out of Solomon's hand, really Solomon's son Rehoboam's hand, because of Solomon's terrible choices. And so God said, I'm going to take the kingdom from you. And he gives it to Jeroboam, ten tribes up to the north, Rehoboam ends up with two, or really one technically, down to the south. What does Jeroboam do? We talked about it last week. He gets worried. He says, the temple is down south in Judah. The people are going to want to go down to the temple and worship. So I'm going to set up my own worship system up in the north. I'm going to create a priesthood. I'm going to bring idols in. I will get the people worshiping here so that they don't go down and worship there. And he brings idolatry and he brings the practices associated with it up into Israel. And every single king of Israel without fail would continue the trend. Every single one until the Assyrians took them out in 722 BC. And so here, Jehoash, same thing. He leaves a legacy of sin 
from the one who started it. He doesn't go against the grain. Status quo. He seems to have some military success that's mentioned briefly here. And he dies. And he's buried with his fathers, with the kings of Israel. Standard statement there in, in Second Kings. Curiously enough, there's no mention of this king, basically your standard run-of-the-mill ungodly king of Israel. No mention of him suffering at his death. And then you see Elisha kind of juxtaposed in here by the author. And what does Elisha, uh, what is written about him? Well, he has this, this legacy of the power of God and the miraculous, in particular the miraculous power of God at work almost at will, almost with a snap of his fingers. And the fascinating thing, we'll read it now, about Elisha is even after his death, this occurred. Verse 20, Moabite raiders after his death and burial. They used to enter the country every spring, the author tells us. Once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body. They're burying someone. They see these raiders come. They're going to be attacked. And they take the man's body and they throw it into Elisha's tomb. That is very odd behavior. They seem to think something's going to happen if they take this body that they are burying and bring it into contact with the tomb of the dead prophet. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. You say, come on, like this is the most, this is one of, this is bizarre. I cannot in the 21st century be expected to believe this. Okay, I'll leave that with you. But note that, that, that how this man leaves behind such a reputation that these people are willing to take the chance and bring that dead body that they're burying within contact of, of this man's tomb. Wow, he must have had quite a reputation. I think you would concede that even as a skeptic. And if you believe this story, the power of God was flowing through this man's skeleton, if we're to believe this story. Wow, you talk about a legacy left behind. This is a big difference between Jehoash. Wow, I mean, which, which person would you rather be? What would you rather have as an epitaph? I'd probably want the one like Elisha, wouldn't you? It's quiet. Maybe you never heard this story before. Look what happens to Elisha when he is, if you will, diagnosed. So we're told very briefly in this verse, he was suffering from the illness from which he died. Right away, folks, you've got to be scratching your head here. Here is a man who's, we're told in the same narrative, whose bones raised the dead, and yet he got sick, and he suffered, and he died of that sickness? 
Why in the world did God not heal him? Why didn't he snap his little fingers and, and be healed? We are simply not told. What else are we told? The ungodly Jehoash died, apparently not of sickness, apparently not of suffering. I mean, maybe you could argue he did, but it's not mentioned by the writer. The writer talks about Elisha, of all people, sickness, suffering, and death. Folks, I tell you it's one of the most powerful verses of Scripture because if you've ever gotten sick and you've ever suffered, if you've ever known someone who was godly and got sick and suffered and died, Elisha's in their company. Elisha went through the same thing. The greatest prophet of all time, except for Jesus, miracles were told in the Old Testament that only are in the ballpark of Jesus himself. And yet this man experienced that. Wow. I have heard people try to push this verse away and say, well, you know, he didn't have enough faith and that's why he got sick and suffered and died. If he'd have had faith, then he wouldn't have. I mean, does that hold water to you? Oh, well, you know, somebody cursed him. Does that hold water to you? No. The writer puts this in because, folks, this is life sometimes. Sometimes you get sick. Sometimes you suffer. And sometimes that sickness and suffering takes your life. And there's no explanation of why. And there's no reasoning. There's no rhyme or reason to this. It's like, it's like traffic on the Champlain Bridge. I mean, it's just there. It just boom, right in, your, right in your face as you're reading this narrative, boom, it just jumps right out at you. Incredible. What does this man do when he is diagnosed, if you will? What does he do? Well, he continues his service, continues his ministry. He says, King Jehoash, come over here. Pick up this bow. I'm going to put my hands on your hands. This is, he continues, nothing changes in his approach, in his ministry, in his calling. Nothing changes. He just keeps doing what he's been doing. There's no record of him going before God and saying, God, why is this happening to me? Why, what did I do wrong? What did I not believe correctly? Who put a curse on me? Who did this? Who did that? What did my father do? What did my grandfather do that I've inherited this sickness and suffering? You see no argument between him and God. You see no discussion. You just see Elisha continue to do the things that he's always done. Wow. I mean, this is, this is impressive. He, he, he doesn't seem at all to be concerned about this. He doesn't seem to think that this is at all unfair. And here, this ungodly King Jehoash is not going to suffer, but this prophet is going to suffer. This is not an issue for him, apparently. It's, it's striking. And you see, you, he suffers from this illness, and this illness takes his very life. So what lessons do we learn from this man's death? 
Well, folks, you've really got to slow this down and think about it in relation to your own life. Even, even he wasn't exempt. Even Elisha, the, the, the great Elisha, was not exempt from sickness and suffering that led to his death. If Elisha is not exempt, apparently, from what we read in 2 Kings 13, maybe we're not either. Maybe when sickness and suffering comes into our life and we face death's door as a result, maybe instead of thinking, well, what did I do wrong? Why is this, 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 this happened to me? And, you know, try and rationalize it and try and think it through. Uh, maybe we should take comfort in the reality that even the great prophet of God, the great man of God, faced this. Maybe that should comfort us. Maybe we should look at his life and see, well, what did he do when he was diagnosed with that news in the manner of his time? I mean, he must have known that he was sick somehow. He must have known that he was suffering. What did he do? Let's look. And here we see it. Amazing. King, come over here. Give me your hands. Give me the bow. I mean, if, if, if it wasn't known that Elisha was sick and suffering, the, the, he's doing the standard stuff that he's always done. So when this happens to you, I'm not going to say if it happens to you. I'm going to say when it's happened to you. What do you do? Do you try and find a rational explanation for it? Folks, you can. I mean, all of us do this. You know, uh, why, why, why did this happen? You know, even in my own family, beginning of July, all of us got whacked with COVID. Pow! One, two, three, all of us, you know? And it just, just went through us in a, in a solid week. You know, we had everything, every symptom, except for, you know, lung issues that would have sent us to the hospital. Thank the Lord. Good. And then, uh, you know, 30 days later, end of July, I mean, literally, folks, it's, it's almost ridiculous. Our daughter is driving our car in, into the parking lot in front of this building, probably going five kilometers an hour and then actually stopping the car and is rammed on the passenger side by a car. Total loss, our car. Our daughter is taken to the hospital in a stretcher. X-ray is negative. Thank God again. Great church family helping us, driving us around. You know, they, every, everyone was helping. It was amazing. The guy's front end is smashed. His airbag goes off. I mean, he's probably going 50 kilometers an hour to do that. Huh? <laughs> Why does that happen? You know, we could look and say, oh, it's a curse. It's the curse of July. Wait till it's over. Wait till August, you know? Maybe there'll be no curse in August. Folks, life happens, and tough moments happen. If you try and rationalize and think it through and try and come up with a theological reason. And I, I, folks, there's tons of theological reasons, you know. Well, there's sickness and suffering in the world, live with it. That's a, that, that is a correct theological reason. 
There is sickness and suffering in the world, even for Christians. Theologically, that's correct. But it's not very satisfactory when you're sick and suffering, is it? When someone gives you a little theology out of Romans 8, and they say, you know, all creation is groaning, awaiting redemption, and so on. So there's sickness and suffering. Live with it. Well, you try when you're in the moment to listen to a piece of theology. You may not, you may not find that very satisfactory. And that's the point. You're not going to get to an answer that's always going to give you an explanation. Maybe it's better to say, well, why don't I just figure out how I'm going to live with whatever I have here? And in Elisha's case, king, go get me a bow. He keeps doing what he's doing. He is not let down by his ministry, his call does not stop as a result. And sometimes I think, folks, we let these things that come into our lives just paralyze us. And we can't do anything until we figure it out. And you're never going to figure it out. It's more practical to say, what am I going to do now? I just lost my uh, spouse. I just lost my child. I was just diagnosed with this. I've just been through the most horrendous divorce. Um, I've just lost my job. I've just gotten this diagnosed. Whatever it is, folks, instead of rationalizing the theology, maybe we should say, well, what am I going to do now? How am I going to cope? How am I going to live? How am I going to keep moving? How am I going to keep serving God even in this moment of sickness, suffering, death, whatever it is? And third, his life touched others even after death. Now, maybe you don't believe the business about the skeleton. It's, an, it's really a, quite the tale that's being told there, and I understand the skepticism. But folks, do you understand that even if you don't believe in miracles, your life can touch other lives even after your life has gone to the other side. Did you know that? You can leave a legacy behind that will keep on giving and keep on touching people. I have seen this in practical ways. I've seen people who grew up all their lives, lived in the church, single all their lives, and when they uh, leave this world, they have left so much behind in the people's lives that they have touched. Sometimes it's practical in the sense of money. And there's money going to people, specific people, who are blessed beyond their imagination because somebody took the time to plan to minister to specific individuals even after they left this world. I'm telling you, it's powerful. I've seen people tithe off of their estate and give a tithe to whatever organization or their church or whatever. And they leave that behind. And there's sometimes hundreds of people whose lives are literally changed because of one life after they've met the grave. And that's just talking about money. What about the way that you live your life in terms of your character? What about the relationships that you leave behind? 
Because that's all. That's all that matters when you face the grave. That's all. It's not going to be, boy, you know, we really remember this person because, you know, of, of all of their tremendous achievements. If it's just that, folks, it comes and it goes really quick. But if you remember the person because of the lives that they touched and the relationships that were good that they left behind, that's what stays, folks. That's what people remember. You know, at a funeral, that's what matters. The memories, the relationships. Were they good? Then that's going to encourage people. Were they bad? And that's going to sting. That's going to add a sting that will never go away. So you have an opportunity to think that through now. Because you're not at that grave yet. Right? That's 100% true for everyone in this room and everyone watching. You're not at that grave yet. So you've got a chance to say, well, what am I going to do the next time sickness and suffering comes into my life? Am I going to, to react with the, you know, the, the, the usual way? And, and it's not bad to do. I just think you'll be frustrated doing it. Or am I going to go Elisha's way and learn from the man of God who got sick? and suffered, and it ended up taking his life. Would you pray with me today? We're going to finish the service. Musicians, if you're in the room, you can come and, and uh, go ahead and play and keep playing. We'll keep the stream live for those online. But would you pray with me, folks? I think there are those of you, and maybe you never knew this about Elisha. Maybe you never saw this verse before. It goes, goes by so fast. It's so ironic the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, and there's this little blurb about his death. There's more said about what happens after his death than his death itself, but it's said. Maybe you never saw it before. Maybe you never saw that you could actually relate to Elisha in terms of sickness and suffering and so on. Maybe you've, you've got to that point of frustration yourself where you've already rationalized everything and you've been through, you've read every book about it, you've listened to every message about it, and nothing seems to solve the problem. Maybe Elisha's way. God, I'll be faithful, I'll keep serving, I'll keep doing what you called me to do in spite of it. I will learn to live with it and see what happens. Maybe that's a better approach. Father, I pray for each person in this room, those who are online, those who are going to watch, those who are going to listen later. Give us a fresh perspective, God. Uh, I pray for those. There are those in this room who have lived it. There are those who have experienced it in full. And they know, oh God, and they've been there. I, I, I pray, Lord, you would, you would fill people with your spirit and you would encourage people today. Lord, for those who may be going through that moment right now, that suffering and that sickness, and, or they know someone and there's someone that they know, dearly loved person who's, who's in the hospital, who's dying. Lord, I, I heard about a, an old friend, Wilton Moore, today, who's in the, in the hospital uh, on, on, at death's door. Lord, would you encourage that man? Uh, God, for others in our assembly, those who are dealing with illnesses right now, that you would encourage, that you would fill people with your spirit, with power to face it and to continue to trust in you. 
we pray today in Jesus name amen amen the Lord bless you today enjoy the rest of your Sunday please visit with the Omenkas up there if you know them and encourage them before they leave today make sure you pick up your kids in number 11 enjoy the next two Sundays as you have guest speakers God bless you everyone